start off by talking about how Embiid and Levine are out for the season. Yeah, that's Embiid's the first tough. player since Wilt to average more points than minutes played, surpassing him at the 1.05 points per minute mark, which puts him as the best scorer of all time. So you have him beating players like Dirk, Hakeem, and Shaq. And I'd argue he's a combination of those players because he has the power and the finesse in today's league. And then, obviously, unfortunately, he had to fall to injury for the rest of the entire season. So, of course, when Embiid's playing his best at 29 years old, um, someone has to fall on his leg and trigger his knee injury and then he got diagnosed with a torn meniscus. And that's it. He doesn't qualify for NBA awards, all first team, um, MVP, any of those awards. Unfortunately, because of the new 65 game rule, he was trying to kind of force himself to play a little bit. And it backfired. So... There's a lot of people around the league saying that there should be sort of exceptions for this rule. Like I heard one analyst, Zach Lowe, he was mentioning how he would tweak this rule by saying that all NBA third team folks can qualify with less than 65 games just because it messes with players' livelihood. Like uh, you have players such as uh, Tyrese Halliburton, for example, He's on the cusp of missing more than 17 games this season. And if he does, he's going to potentially miss out on about $50 million of contract money for the Supermax that he wants to sign in the offseason. So um, it's doing well and bad across the league. For example, um, Embiid being out is unlocking Maxi's true potential. It made uh, the Philly 76ers go ahead and sign someone like Buddy Heald to add more offensive juice. And now they're arguably a bit more healthy, uh, a bit more uh, dangerous, if healthy, when it comes to the playoffs. So it's a good rule, so to speak, because it kind of stresses how availability is the best ability within the league. And it kind of makes you appreciate how players such as the LeBrons and the other long, uh, players with uh, very prosperous and long careers have done it because it's really hard once you're a star player to essentially just try to keep the injury bug away since um, it's it's just essentially not an easy thing to do across an 82 game season you know so you have to manage your workload really well and then the question of load management comes up and it's just like an entire conversation for players and analysts to have across the league i have a lot of people that are kind of black and white on it what do you think of this new rule and how it's affecting new players um for the higher awards, like definitely for first and second team, as well as kind of the MVP or rookie of the year, your offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. I do agree with it just because as you mentioned, availability is the best ability and you do need to reward the guys who 
you know, whether it was by taking care of their bodies or just by good luck, you know, did play the vast majority of the season and sort of made the biggest impact. Um, maybe for like certain other awards, maybe for third team specifically, there could be some wiggle room because it is unfortunate that like a Tyrese Halliburton might fall off the awards. And you also mentioned and B Kyrie Irving is also not eligible for anything. He's missed too much time. Um, it's really unfortunate, but I do think at the same time, you know, even though it does mess with their livelihoods, it also messes with the livelihoods of guys who did play to potentially not receive the awards for someone who played, you know, half the season or half as many games as them. So it's a delicate balance, but I do think that availability needs to be at least somewhat of a factor for better, for worse. You know, sometimes injuries are just bad luck. Yeah, I feel like Adam Silver um, with the new collective collective bargaining agreement that happened this past offseason essentially agreed with a lot of the major stakeholders across the league and the um, NBA Players Association as well, headlined by CJ McCollum. Um, If the players agreed to it, then there's really no reason that it shouldn't be implemented. So... It is a good rule, but I think it's just going to take a few seasons for the players to kind of adjust. And also, if you look at like the last 30 MVPs, most of them played over 65 games. So it was kind of a rule that was being implemented behind the scenes, but not as strictly. And now there's a finite number of games that you have to play. So players are coming out and saying that it's a little bit weird for them to adjust to midseason because it simply wasn't the case, just like uh, a lot of other rules that were implemented in the past. But yeah, for the most part, I think that it's a good rule for the prosperity of the league moving forward. So load management kind of takes a little bit of a back turn. It kind of emphasizes that the star players are available for fans to play and to watch them play when they like uh, essentially just save a lot of money to go see that one game because a lot of fans uh, don't have a disposable couple hundred dollars just to go on a game every week or so. So having that rule essentially safeguards the league's integrity in the long term when it comes to player availability and fans interacting with their favorite players. So you're not going to look down on this rule too much. However, when it comes to a player's uh, full potential in terms of a financial lens, then they just have to basically just work a little bit harder to pace themselves across the season, or they will have to relinquish the possibility of receiving that honor at the end of the season and kind of just uh, put the, put that pedal to the metal approach and just go for it in the um, playoffs and then potentially get an even more coveted award at the end of the season. No, I completely agree with that. And the fan part you mentioned is a good point too, because like, you know, I've been to see LeBron on the road in Cleveland before, and it would be really unfortunate if my family made that trip all the way up there, you know, that long drive just to not see LeBron play. That would have broken my heart, even rooting for the rival team, you know, but getting to see a generational icon play is not, it's not a common opportunity. Yeah. So 
Embiid's out for the rest of the season. Hopefully, he'll be back in terms of the playoffs. It sounds like there's a chance he might, maybe it, maybe not for the regular season, but th- yeah, I heard he might be back for the playoffs. It seems like the operation he had on his meniscus is not like super severe, has a long recovery, but you know, that's unfortunate. And for the sake of the game, I hope he can come back. Yeah, as soon it'll as be possible a- while maintaining. It'll just be a more competitive playoff uh, picture, you know, like uh, Philly's up there this season. They're doing and playing really well. They have a lot of good offensive pieces. They're very deep. Uh, They remind me of a Shane Battier with their Nicholas Batum pickup. So it's just like they have those uh, like championship level role players. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to see them unlocked alongside Embiid when it comes to push and shove during the playoffs. So we're wishing him a speedy recovery. However, with Levine being out, it was actually kind of a blessing for Kobe White's resurgence because mm. uh, this wasn't necessarily on our list, but I feel like we got to talk about Kobe White because this yes. guy is a stud. He's like pulling up from 30 feet like it's nothing. He has the best hairstyle in the NBA. He has the best swag in the NBA. And he's essentially making Chicago relevant again after they got used to Levine's, I don't want to say static sense of play, but more like predictable. Levine's either going to drive to try to get like a quick layup or just pull up for three most of the time. Obviously, that's not his entire arsenal. That's why he's a max player. However, he is a negative on the defensive side of the ball, and he doesn't do that well offensively on a consistent basis to justify him being a negative on the other side of the ball and paying him about $40 million a season. And uh, other GMs agree with me. That's why he stayed pat during the trade deadline, and now the Bulls actually had one of the worst uh, trade deadline seasons because now they're risking DeMar DeRozan walking out on them for free or for nothing at the end as a free agent signing with another potential team when they could have gotten a fair amount of good pieces back for him because he's on a relatively speaking friendly contract in today's league at least for a 34 year old bona fide mid-range assassin Now, I'm not talking about the playoffs because we all know that his production dips insanely when it comes to that. However, that's not to take away from the fact that he can still help a very bona fide contender take their game to the next level come offseason when it comes to his style of play. Because the mid-range is essentially a very important weapon come playoff time since a lot of the players are going to be focused on Uh, taking away those easy buckets at the rim and then obviously preventing that three-point shot because it's worth more. So there's going to be more defenses locked in on those those two shots. So, for example, a DeMar DeRozan can just work his way, dance in the mid-range, and then pull up. And relatively speaking, that won't be as hard of a shot to get on a consistent basis during the playoffs as a Jason Tatum or CJ McCollum have expressed in the past, that mid-range bomb really comes back to be a lot more useful come playoff time. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree because the, the thing with the playoffs, as we always talk about, as you mentioned, the game slows down, you know, the defense really 
locks in. And I, I thought that was particularly true a few years ago, back in the bubble when, you know, the guys had nothing but basketball to focus on in their lives. And, you know, I do think being able to just grind on those mid range shots and sort of force, especially if the other team's gone static on offense or they're trying those, those threes or those stuff close to the bucket that you talk about, it gets more, gets better defended in the playoffs. I think that, you know, that's how runs are formed basically. You know, that's why you exactly. see 15 or 20 point deficits race. I'm not going to say easily, but readily. And it yeah. definitely happens every year in at least one playoff series kind of per set. So like per first rounds, per conference semis, per conference finals, usually in the finals too, you see a double digit deficit raised. And it's usually because the teams can grind those mid range shots and really make the defense work, hopefully get the ball moving. So the defense yeah. has to switch. Absolutely. Like that. What are your thoughts on Kobe White averaging about 20 points a game? And this is for the entire season. So I'm not just talking after Zach Levine's injury. He's currently on pace to average 20 points a game, five assists, five rebounds on 46 from the field and 40% from three. Those are essentially like Kyrie Irving numbers for the lack of a better comparison. The man's a stud. He's only 23 years old, and he's been giving the keys to the franchise, and I'm so happy to have him see that because the way he plays is honestly, it makes it, it makes the game fun. Like, you watch him play, and you're just enjoying what you're seeing. That display of skill, that display of tenacity is also kind of a hustle player. When the ball's loose, he's uh, running towards it with everything to lose and nothing to gain. So he's just essentially putting his body out on the line every game for a sub 500 team that's barely going to make the play in picture. So I'd kind of figure that translating onto a higher level when it comes to him being on a competitive team. I'm not sure Chicago's going to let go of him because of how valuable of an asset he is to them. But I'd like to see Chicago will do what they didn't do this trade deadline and capitalize on the assets they do have because this young core that they have is pretty valuable and it's sort of being put to waste especially after their lack of moves after the trade deadline because now like i said they're risking one of their best players which they traded a lot for walking out on them for free because they didn't want to take a slightly cheaper price for him I still think there was a lot of um, teams across the entire league that were appropriate suitors for a player of DeMar DeRozan's archetype. However, unfortunately, the Chicago Bulls front office didn't think so. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, first of all, I, I would almost gear towards someone like a Kobe White being the future of the franchise because, interestingly, like Zach Levine, Chicago's offense is fairly static. That's why they're kind of a bottom fifth offense in the league they have a pretty solid defense even though certain guys like Levine or you know DeMar DeRozan isn't really known for being a defender um really <laughs> not um, even close. but it's like Chicago's not bad on that area but I feel like someone like a Kobe White who will be up your nose all the time diving for the ball and can get some production going on offense maybe make the team quicker more dynamic especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's a more compelling 
direction for them to take. And then, you know, if you want the defense to say you keep a guy like Caruso around. That's another big name when it comes to Chicago. Um, There was reports all over the league that most teams across the league actually wanted him, but Chicago wouldn't let go of him. Now, see, that makes sense because he's on a team-friendly contract for being one of the best off-ball players, defenders, hustle players, whatever you want to call him in the entire league. So holding on to a player like that makes sense. However, when you're doing that with a player that's about to walk out on you in free agency in a couple of months, that to me made them the biggest loser of the entire trade deadline, which is a good... um, like transition to talk about the winners of the trade deadline, which by far are the New York Knicks, in my humble opinion, because Agreed. they did not send out one first round pick. They got back OG Ananobi, they got back Alec Burks, and they got Boyan Bogdanovich, who's quietly been averaging 20 points per game on 40% from three on the Detroit Pistons. Pistons. So you have him joining the likes of Julius Randle when healthy, Jalen Brunson when healthy, OG Anobi when healthy, and do we even need to talk about Dante DiVincenzo? Because that man has unlocked a like dog within him that he's had locked up for every other team he's been a part of. Like I would have liked to see Dante DiVincenzo play this well when he was on the Warriors. Why didn't he take 20 shots when he was on the Warriors if he's going to make over half every game? You know, like this man stepped up to an entire new stratosphere of gameplay across of the people that he's surrounding himself with. And he just kind of like ascended to another like echelon of play. And no one's talking about him or the Knicks when they're fourth in the east right now slowly tagging milwaukee and cleveland which we're going to talk about later trust me we're going to talk about cleveland but um yeah i just think the new york knicks have been playing extremely well and no one's talking about it they've essentially won um nine out of their last 11 with dante averaging 30 plus points a game because of jalen brunson being out which is absolutely diabolical now more recently unfortunately they have lost three games in a row so that's that's from before (laughs) then but before those three l's in a row they were beating a lot of better teams than they would have been so they had some notable wins against teams like the Heat, the Nuggets. Um, They even beat teams like Philly when before uh, Embiid uh, went out, they beat the Timberwolves. So they've been having a really good stretch with their new players. And Mm -hmm. I think that's good enough to put them at like, I think it was the third or second best offense in the league, uh, tied with like the ninth best defense But if you take their defense in a vacuum after the OG trade, it's actually the number one in the entire NBA. So it is kind of crazy how one player, which is unfortunately or was my last favorite Raptor on that team, uh, can catapult a team's defense from probably the last third in the league to now the top third and in a vacuum after he got there, the best defense in the entire association. Yeah, I think... That's kind of the thing about the Nets or the Nets, the Knicks. Good Lord. Um, Like they 
held on to all their first round picks, which to get the guys they got, you know, OG Anobi, last year's steals leader. And then you got, you know, a young, young talent in Alec Burks, who, you know, wasn't going to have a chance to shine in Detroit because nothing shines in Detroit right now. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, who's been, he's kind of been that like, can get hot type of shooter, you know, on the older side, but still can really can contribute to, you know, a contender team, which even though New York's lost their last three, including yesterday with a very controversial ending. Um, I, yeah, I, no, I still think New York's I'm sorry. That wasn't a foul. The league literally admitted it wasn't a foul. Yeah. They definitely sold that game. Like they took the opposite intuition of the common phrase, let them play. And they were like, oh no, I'm definitely going to intervene. You said, let them play bet. I'm going to do the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. come on refs. Like let them, like that was a hell of a comeback. And Jalen Brunson made a shot that was super contested. Uh, I forget who contested him, but he was all I over his remember. face. Right. And then they go back and then it's essentially the same contest over a heave for uh, whoever that was shooting it to try to get it in. And then Jalen Brunson essentially just blocked his view of the rim. And then the refs were like, you get two free throws out of that. Yeah, I hate those kinds of calls, whether, you know, just any game in the league, even if it like benefits the Celtics, just screw that. Let them play. (laughs) Don't be decided. Don't be deciding games for teams. Like, especially in the last like two minutes of the game, like let them play unless there's like an obvious foul. It was Aaron holiday from the Rockets. So Drew holiday's brother. Wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> did you see his dunk that game? Apparently that was his sixth dunk of his entire NBA career. Cause he's only a six oh. footer. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's a little bit harder to dunk when you're height disadvantaged. On it's, two probably people. it's probably why you didn't see Isaiah Thomas dunk very much. Yeah, but he dunked on two people. He put Bogdanovich on the floor. He was flexing. I think they repeated that dunk like four times on the MSG broadcast. And Mike Breen just went insane as he should because Aaron Holiday does not dunk the ball. (laughs) And he dunked on two people. And they still lost the game. Well, the Knicks did. Aaron Holiday's team won. But yeah. That's all to say that the Knicks have been playing out of their minds. If you take their three last games out, well, more more, more accurately, the last two games out because they should have won the last game against Houston. And they've also been dealing with a fair amount of injuries. Their top three guys have been out. Jalen Brunson just came back. He dropped like 26 points and they still lost. So um, they've been leaning on Dante DiVincenzo a little bit too much, but they're a little they're a very deep team especially after the trade deadline so i don't anticipate them having continuous issues moving forward especially when they get their top dogs back but you you're seeing like uh the precious achua trade really pan out for them right you're mm-hmm. seeing the um og ananobi pickup obviously being really good for them but and when their top players are injured you're having your Josh Hart's of the world. You're having the Dante DiVincenzo's of the world. You're having the um, just overall hustle players that they have on their team take it out to that next level. And now, like you said, they have the Alec Burks's of the world. So um, I forecast them uh, at least being a second round exit, maybe making it to the conference finals if they're fully healthy. 
because they're playing a very unbeatable style of basketball. And just wait till Randall comes back with that decreased role because of OG Ananobi's presence. So if you're essentially just uh, reducing Randall's role to more of a spot-up shooter, which I hope he doesn't do, I hope he kind of uses that as like him trying to go into the mid-post area and kind of work his magic there as a 6'10 forward. However, um, we can get into how 6'10 forwards love to pull up rather than dunk if you want, Mr. Tatum. So <laughs> hopefully uh, Randall won't single-handedly sell the entire New York Knicks by pulling a Jason Tatum when it comes playoff time. Man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's got to be one of the Knicks Achilles heels that and just like game miscues tends to be what sunk them in past playoffs um yeah the knicks are an interesting team they definitely are the biggest winners of the trade deadline that would be the one team i would consider like 1a like far and away have the best trade deadline um let's see how they respond to this little rut they're in only three games you know but i think you know i know ogn nobi's still out you mentioned Randall. Hopefully Brunson stays healthy because I do think they're one of the more balanced teams in the East. I could see them making the conference finals or, or over Milwaukee or Philly, but there's one mm -hmm. other team in the Eastern Conference that we need to get to that is 16 and 2 in their last 18 games. And one of those losses was last night, just a two point loss to the 76ers, another team really fighting for the top spots in the East. Um, so yeah, Cleveland Cavaliers, far and away the number one defense in the league during that stretch, and I believe the number six ranked offense as well. Mm -hmm. They are also getting healthy again. They had Darius Garland and Evan Mobley miss extended periods of time. Um, one thing that's interesting with them is they've really been mixing and mashing the rosters. Like I read last week that the the core starting five, which includes Garland and Mobley, only played like ten minutes together which mm -hmm. is crazy so the, the Cavs have really been experimenting with different lineups you know different rotations uh which I actually think makes it a little bit harder to game plan for them because you don't really know what they're going to throw at you but yeah it's kind of surprising the level of depth that Cleveland has and between having the best offense in the league or off best defense in the league currently and an offense that continues to rise I would definitely watch out for Cleveland as well, especially if they're all healthy come playoff time. Yeah, no, spearheaded by Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, um, he's a actual very serious trade target for the Lakers in the offseason. That's one of the main reasons they did stand pat come this offseason or trade deadline. Uh, also, because of D'Angelo Russell's elevated play before the uh, trade deadline as well, before the All-Star break in general, he's been playing out of his mind. He was averaging about like 14, or sorry, 16, 17 points per game on about 38% from three. And then his numbers went up and so did his efficiency, which is usually not synonymous so in his last little stretch of 14 games, he's actually been averaging about 25 points per game on 45% from three. So it's not often that you see one of your more streaky players 
essentially go up from averaging 16, 15 points a game, uh, add 10 points to that, and then add like 7% of efficiency from the three-point line. And then he has some cold-blooded threes. Like there was that one three against, I believe, the Denver Nuggets. I'm not possibly sure when I think there you're was right. literally no other Laker on the uh, front court of where the Lakers basket was. And dude just pulled up by himself with LeBron, AD, Rui, everyone behind him. And a lot of Denver uh, Nuggets defenders in front of him and under the basket. And that went in nothing but, well, no, it did graze the rim. But <laughs> it still went in, you know. That's like a very cold-blooded oh, wow. shot for a third-slash-fourth option on a team to just pull up with a lot of clock left uh, on the shot clock in a late-game situation. So I think that was one of the main reasons that um, the Lakers' front office – and Rob Palinka, more specifically speaking, just did decide to stand pat. But I digress. Uh, we're talking about Donovan Mitchell, and I want him to be on my Lakers. So that's why I said that. But <laughs> outside of that, um, Donovan Mitchell has been playing insane. He won the Eastern Conference Player of the Month award alongside uh, Luca's Western Conference Player of the Month. Now, when you see those two graphics next to each other, you obviously think that Donovan Mitchell is not that good because Luca's averaging more points, assists, and rebounds on better efficiency. <laughs> but uh, Donovan Mitchell is about, I want to say, six, seven inches shorter than Luca, and he has a better team around him, so he's not seeing the ball as much as Luka Doncic. And he also has a bona fide point guard on his team, whereas Luca has a scorer of a point guard on his team. So it's a lot harder for Donovan Mitchell to get those touches and him averaging 28 points, five rebounds, five assists on insane shooting splits is most definitely deserving of that Eastern Conference Player of the Month award. And his team has also been um, extremely hot. I think they've won about 17 out of their last 19 games. So or, I'm sorry, is it nine out of their last 11 it's something it's they've won nine straight and then they lost two in between. So they've been doing really well when it comes to a lot of their injuries, like Evan Mobley being injured, mm -hmm. uh, which kind of makes me want to piggyback off this graph that I have in front of you. So uh, Dean Wade has the best defensive rating in the entire NBA. Uh, I don't understand why. He's a 6'9 forward that is fairly an average slash good role player. And he shoots about 40% from three. And he makes opponents score the least when he's guarding them. So I remember I talked to you about why Dean Wade was sort of useless in my uh, like initial depiction of him. And then, boy, was I proved wrong. This man has single-handedly showed the entire Cleveland Cavaliers why he should be starting in front of Mobley. And more uh, accurately, he should be finishing games as opposed of Mobley. So um, I actually have J.B. Bickerstaff as one of, if not the coach of the year, in my opinion, because of how he's been managing minutes. Because this man, or this coach more specifically, has his rotations tied up to a T 
It's perfection. He's literally substituting people in and out every possession when it comes to a late game situation to make uh, necessary offensive and defensive adjustments. So, for example, Isaac Okoro in, Darius Garland out, Dean Wade in, Evan Mobley out. That way you have a lot more spacing when it comes to Donovan Mitchell wanting to uh, attack the rim, especially if you have the Twin Towers lineup with Allen and Mobley. That's a little bit more constrictive when it comes to late game situations because then uh, teams are more likely to pack the paint as opposed to just letting them uh, have that five out or four out. Um, um, you're swearing a Celtics jersey. It's too distracting. So five out comes to my brain like that. But uh, that four out offensive lineup with Jared Allen being their anchor on both sides of the floor, you have Jared Allen averaging an insane number of offensive rebounds specifically and the Cleveland Cavaliers as a team, as a unit, averaging a lot of offensive rebounds, which could have been seen in their almost win when they lost by two points because Darius Garland is shooting 32% from three, and he missed two go-ahead uh, threes to win the game. Um, but that's not to say he's been having a lot of injuries this season. His jaw was messed up, and then he had a foot injury earlier on. So I just argue that he hasn't really been able to catch a rhythm. and then. Also, I think that it's not the best fit alongside um, Spida because they're both kind of PGs. I know um, Spida is more of a shooting guard because of his style of play. I just think if he was the sole like six foot guard on the Cleveland Cavaliers, then it would be a slightly better fit. Like replace uh, uh, Garland with Derek White, for example, and it would have been like game over a while ago. But that's nothing to take away from the entire Cleveland Cavaliers. They are responsible for having three players on the top 10 defensive rating players list. So that's Dean Wade. Donovan Mitchell is number four, four in the entire league, and he's an offensive superstar. And he holds opponents to 105 uh, points per 100 possessions when being guarded by them. For a six-foot guard, that is ridiculous. Like, I don't think our audience understands how ridiculous that is. For being known to be like the Eastern Conference player of the week, month, probably in the MVP conversation because of your offense, and then being the fourth best individual defender in the entire NBA, like where's Drew Holiday on this list? I don't see him. I see a 35-year-old Mike Conley on ninth, and I don't see a Drew Holiday. So that's just ridiculous to me that Donovan Mitchell is there. I know. That's what I'm saying. So the fact that Donovan Mitchell is number four is just redonkulous. That's like the most insane stat I've seen all season. And I've seen a lot of insane stats this season. And you also have Max Schroeson on number 10. So you can kind of see where the meat and potatoes of this Cleveland Cavaliers run has been. It's been in their defense. It's been in their hustle. It's been in their... um, late game execution when it comes to opponents trying to buy a bucket and then their rotations, their coaching by JB Bickerstaff, just all pristine basketball. Yeah, I agree. I would probably, if the season ended today, I would give it to Bickerstaff, the coach of the year award, um, specifically because he's been able to experiment with these lineups and go on a 16 to two run on the season, which is just crazy. Um, And their only two losses have been, uh, there was one to Milwaukee, but they got their revenge the very next day. And then the two point loss to Philly yesterday. Uh, but the fact that they've turned in 
a, a superstar shooting guard into the fourth best, almost third best defensive player in the league, turned a role player that you called useless into the best defensive player by a healthy margin. And getting a role player like Max Struess to crack the top 10 is just, that's crazy. That's really good coaching. And even the weak point, which has been Cleveland's offense, you know, during that stretch has been the sixth best. Like they're firing on all cylinders. They're getting what they need to out of Donovan Mitchell, really unlocking his capabilities. And I think experimenting with the lineups also gives him an opportunity to see what are the most like efficient combinations. Um, it, it, it's very fascinating. Um, and I will note that even a guy like Struess who struggled to shoot, I mean, the fact that he's on the top 10 for individual defensive rating shows you that Bickerstaff really knows how to get the most out of each guy, even if a certain area isn't going quite as well. You know, that, 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 that's very smart coaching in my opinion. Well, you have Struess like doing those plays that no one else will, right? Like he shot that three against Philly a couple of nights ago, and then he immediately knew that it was off. So he got that offensive rebound, wide open shot to Darius Garland in the corner, bricked it. And then obviously Donovan Mitchell had the exact same a couple of possessions later. And um, Darius Garland, one of my favorite players on the Cavs, missed it as well. I'd argue that that's good for him because now he's going to practice a lot more. But in the grand scheme of things, the Cleveland Cavaliers have been on a tear. I completely agree. And they're definitely a team to watch come playoff time, just like the Knicks. They're a very balanced team. Yeah. And uh, we'll be right back after this advertisement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crispy Cream, sponsor me. Um. Yeah. Do you still want to talk about the Cavs or do you think we got it? I think we have the Cavs down pretty nice um, and pat. Another uh, sort of like trade deadline in between. I don't want to say they're winners. Well, they're winners for one move and then they're like mid for another move that they did. Can you guess which team I'm talking about? Mm. They had one good pickup and then the other one was not as good. Oh, man. My brain's not functioning 100%. I was going to say Phoenix, but. Well, no, Phoenix did well because they picked up uh, um, the player from the Nets, Royce O'Neal. Yeah, that was a good pickup. That was a good pickup. Yeah, they needed defense, more shooting around their big three. So obviously, that was a good pickup. Not much to talk about Phoenix on that end, but you're in the right conference and you got the rival on one of the teams for him. We did? Yeah, well, Phoenix. Oh, Philly? Rival. Of the team I'm mentioning. Wait, Phoenix is a rival? It's not the team. It's their star player has the rival of the team, of the star Booker. player on the team that I'm mentioning. Are you talking like Phoenix about Phoenix is star player? It's the team I'm mentioning, star player's rival. This is too much. Oh, you're going to beat yourself crazy. up when I tell you. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Luca. Oh, the Yeah, I'll. I was really thinking like fucking Luca, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um the Mavs didn't have an amazing offseason. They didn't have a bad offseason. Uh I like their Daniel Gafford pickup a lot. It addresses their uh big man concerns outside of Derek Lively. 
Um, we all knew that Powell was not a sustainable uh, big for them moving forward. And we all know that Luca wants jersey number seven. So just get Powell outside of the math. So Luca get his jersey number. Now you have two bona fide bigs that are playing really well in Daniel Gafford and Derek Lively. However, I'm not a huge fan, uh, fan of the P.J. Washington pickup because he's not a good shooter. He's like a sub-33% shooter. He is a scorer, though, so I get it. And uh, there's a lot of reports that came out that said that um, your man, I'm going to make them both Williams, rubbed a lot of Mavericks the wrong way within the franchise so when you hear it from that holistic perspective it makes more sense as to why they got rid of him so fast when they had just literally picked him up and I don't know he's kind of been on a shooting slump but you don't really trade someone because they're on a shooting slump especially given his career uh percentages he also works with lethal shooter uh so I I just don't see why they traded him for PJ Washington they were going after like players like Kyle Kuzma, so I guess I'll take PG over Kyle Kuzma. But I mean, like I'm a fan of the Daniel Gaffer pickup. He literally had 17 rebounds in the second game. He played for the Mavs, so he's obviously helping where they need the most help, which is getting the ball after they miss. And uh, yeah, they're looking pretty good. However, they're in that plane with a lot of another or other good teams that are also trying to make a deep playoff push in the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. So I think that we're going to have a very interesting Western Conference playing tournament this year because we we only have 30 games left. And uh, teams like the Pelicans, for example, or uh, what's the other team that could potentially fall off from the West? Uh, Sacramento Kings. Sacramento, yeah. Like, you don't really have any other teams that are that many games back. So you kind of you kind of have to write off Dallas. Like, I don't think LeBron's going to lose a playing tournament. And Steph did once, but I don't think he's going to do it again with how he's been playing recently, especially. And the mm-hmm. fact that they have uh, Gary Payton back, the fact that uh, Andrew Wiggins is playing a lot better recently, the fact that they have a new death lineup featuring Jonathan Kaminga, and the fact that Clay is okay taking a reduced role and not finishing games, you know? So we have a lot of players not finishing games that are like star level players like Clay Thompson, Evan Mobley, at simply because their skill set uh, for that team situation in a clutch game just isn't the best. Like Clay has not the best shot selection. Uh, Evan Mobley clogs up the floor. So you have very smart coaching on behalf of Steve Kerr, J.B. Bickerstaff, uh, essentially just not letting them finish those games. So they're put in a better situation, and it has paid off. We talked about Cleveland's run right now. Uh, Golden State has basically not lost a game since after the coaching incident that happened. They're on a five-game winning streak as of recently, and they are 7-3 and three in their last 10. So they've been shooting up the standings. They started off around 12th. Now they're in 10th comfortably. And uh, I don't think they're going to look back. I think they're going to keep climbing up the standings. I think they might even finish in like a 7th seed. So they have two shots at the play-in tournament. Um, but yeah, I just don't know what out of those three teams will miss the playoffs. Because... 
you ideally have them all penciled in as playoff contenders with generational talents like Luca, LeBron, and Steph. But it sounds like one of them's going to miss the playoffs this year. Yeah. So starting with the with Dallas, I agree they gave up too much for PJ Washington. Yeah. The first although round I will, although I will say, there is no way that Dallas's offense without Luca, for example, isn't the worst in the league other than maybe like Memphis and Portland, because they really cannot score the ball when Luca doesn't play. Like that's where they put up like eighty point stinkers. They're shooting like 30 some odd percent from the field or even worse. Um, and obviously Kyrie is good, but he's also missed a lot of time. And in many of those cases also isn't playing. Um, so they really need a source of offense and a source of points when those two guys aren't playing, or maybe they're having an off night or getting double teamed out the wazoo. Um, you know, as for Grant, that's he seems to have been played he seems to be playing well in charlotte so far their charlotte's bench is really starting to come alive with their recent trades you know maybe not someone i'd call a winner per se because they're at the bottom of the barrel in the eastern conference but they they have shown a little bit of a spark since the trade deadline um i feel like grant's personality can be very polarizing like there were some people like other Celtics fans. I personally like Grant, but occasionally his personality could rub people the wrong way. You know, some like the poke the bear incident in the Eastern Conference Finals was funny at first until it actually came back to bite the Celtics, mm-hmm. um, which may also be why, you know, Brad Stevens chose not to go over the second apron for him during the offseason. You know, even though I think he can be a very good role player, obviously game seven grant from two years ago was <laughs> awesome. Um, we say this about Dallas. They are on a five game win streak too, just like Golden State. It's a little interesting. Like it it just depends on, you know, does Dallas's defense become a liability? Can Luca kind of consistently be that guy? Which I know he can. He's put up a 70 burger. But just once the the game slows down, the playoffs or even the play in, you know, maybe once he's getting double teamed more, mm-hmm. um, so that'll be a real challenge. And the thing is, between Sacramento, Dallas, the Lakers, and Warriors, unless you know one of them shoots up into the top six, two of those teams are missing the playoffs altogether. Yeah, and even the Kings, like they don't have a Steph, a LeBron, or a Luca, but they still have Sabonis, they still have De'Aaron Fox, they have Link Monk. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. they're also a pretty talented team. So the Western Conference really could be an interesting, you know, finish. I will say all those teams at least make the play in. I think the Jazz and Rockets, although they've had impressive stretches, um, they're definitely gonna be the eleventh and twelfth seeds. So at least the floor is like, you know, tenth seed in the play in, but just shows you how deep the western conferences and of course the suns or the pelicans could falter you know and give at least a couple of those teams a chance in the top six and an automatic playoff qualification so the western conference will be very very interesting i will say the play-in tournament is way more interesting in that conference compared to the east yeah easily um it's also worth noting that um these players after the trade deadline have kind of been going crazy because they essentially just have that 
sense of comfort that they're going to stay on their teams. So like Andrew Wiggins, for example, D'Lo, for example. And then to mention the trade deadline, um, I think another like sort of low-key win was the OKC Thunder picking up uh, Gordon Hayward. I think that's been kind of glossed over a lot because it addresses the size matter that they have because a lot of the times when they have Luel Dort and then Shea and then Jay Williams, they're playing three people under 6'6". And that's not bad, but like that's not great, right? In in today's NBA, especially when you're like top two in the West, but it just gives you that like another layer of depth, another layer of like reassurance, a veteran presence in the locker room that's been through it, that's have that's had a very like healthy playoff career under him, and he's been in the moment, whereas a lot of or probably most of the people on the OKC Thunder have not had that experience. So he's going to be able to keep them grounded. He's going to be able to get them a bucket when no one else can. So I think that was an excellent move on Sam Presti's part. Again, one of the best GMs in the entire sport, if not the best. Um, we obviously always joke about how he has like 50,000 draft, draft picks over the next like 15 years because of the Paul George trade, which was a win-win for both teams. And that's saying a lot because the Clippers gave up their entire livelihood for that. And yeah, I just think that that kind of gets glossed over a lot. So I thought it was more worth mentioning that Charlotte just shipped out a lot of players. They were one of the biggest sellers when we thought it would be a team like uh, Chicago or something, you know. So Detroit, uh, Charlotte really showed out when it came to the trade deadline. Uh, speaking of Charlotte, my man's uh, Kylan Terrence, <laughs> uh, Kyle Lowry. <laughs> He's uh, no longer on the Hornets. He's finally back home. North Philly's finest is in Philly. And it kind of makes sense why Philly shipped out um, Patrick Beverly because they wanted to get a four-year older version that's a champion. Uh, so not the worst move. They got a lot of draft compensation in return. And they also had Cameron Payne, which was kind of like a gloss over for the most part. But then in his second game as a sixer, he dropped 20 points as a starter. So can't really uh, like fault his offensive talent. He's just kind of like someone who tends to defer and rightfully so, because he should be as a like six one role player that he's he's an NBA player. So he's obviously an amazing talent. However, uh, relatively speaking, he should be deferring. But when he got that starting nod, he dropped 20. So you never know when you might need that spark plug off the bench. If you get Maxi for God's uh, uh, like um, if he gets injured, God forbid, you know, so you have like that extra layer of insurance when it comes to Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, they picked up Lowry on a 2.8 million uh, deal. Uh, Charlotte bought him out. So happy to see him back home. Obviously a little bit sad that he's not going to retire a Raptor, but at least he gets to go home after a very, very uh, successful NBA career. Uh, it's kind of rare that you have like a 6-1 guard stay in the league for as long as he has. He's going on his 18th year. So hopefully he has like one or two more left so I can see him live, get him to sign my jersey for selfish reasons. However, outside of that, um, happy that he was able to go back home. And also, uh, like I said, it was worth noting that Hayward will definitely improve OKC's uh, ceiling when it comes to playoff. Yeah, so for each team, so for OKC, I agree they needed a veteran presence. Obviously, SGA is a great leader on the court and likely in the locker room, too, based on 
everything we see and hear. Um, but like, again, they're very much lacking experience in the playoffs and in sort of the biggest moments, whereas Hayward has been there, done that. And I think with all the draft capital they have, OKC over the next couple of drafts can, and probably through like trades and free agency, you know, can really address their rebounding issues since that's maybe the one area they struggle with. They ranked in the bottom three for rebounding percentage, both on the offensive and defensive glasses. Um, so that'll be very interesting, but I, I agree they needed a veteran presence, sort of an older presence. As for Philly, um, along with the fact that Kyle Lowry's back home, he's also reunited with Nick Nurse. Oh, yeah. Another thing worth mentioning. Right. So with the, the coach he won, a city's first and franchise's first title with, um, you know, so you know that chemistry is going to be there, you know, and he's the type Nurse of guy. Nurse loves who, Lowry too, so he's going to play him like a lot under, more than I can he understand. was in Philly. Or I, I think, he... I think Lowry, you know, Lowry's the kind of guy that any team, any of the 30 teams in the league would be beyond fortunate to have. And he At would like. $3 million a season, yes. He, <laughs> not a 30 for, maybe, maybe not, Yeah, not 30 million, but like, in terms of what he brings to the team on the court as well as to the locker room, you know, for, for a reasonable price, of course, you know, mm-hmm. any team would be beyond fortunate to it's have It's like him. Westbrook at the 35 years old, uh, siding with the Clippers for like 4 million as opposed to like 40. Right. Exactly. He's a guy that like wants to bring something to the table. Doesn't care as much about the money. I mean, Lowry, that's understandable. He has his ring. He's in his 18th year, as you mentioned. Like, I think he just wants to see where he can still contribute and, you know, retire with his health. Maybe he signs, like, I don't know if they do this in the NBA, but the NFL, they do, like, one-day contracts so guys can retire, you know, with their main team. Larry may or may not because he's a Philly boy at heart, but, you know, it would be cool to see him retire Raptor and hopefully he can get that jersey back there signed. I would love to see that for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking of the Raptors, are you kind of shook that um, uh, Scotty Barnes got the nod as an injury replacement alongside Trey Young as opposed to like uh, Porzingis, for example? Um, I think Scotty Barnes is a very talented player, very energetic. I think he'll be a great piece for the Raptors going forward. I guess it goes back to the same conversation we had about Embiid, Embiid in the MVP race earlier, which is the best availability. The best ability is availability, which Porzingis hasn't been awful with, but I think between minor tweaks and just the fact that the Celtics have such a cushion in the East right now, you know, Porzingis has missed a fair number of games. So I do understand them wanting to reward guys who have been consistently playing and playing well. Obviously, Scotty, I think, bring some much needed juice to that team, especially with OGN OB no longer on the roster. Um, and for Trey Young, he's one of the better scorers in the league. I didn't love it simply because I, I do. I do. Think you he's not def- I mean, I don't think it doesn't match position wise, but I would have rather seen like a Porzingis as a reserve over him but obviously they're not the same position so it's It's because like a lot of reports came out saying that no one in the history of the league has averaged 27 points and 10 assists on 43 plus from the field and not gotten an all-star not so like yeah that's kind of of like speak for themselves but you're right he is very inefficient he's like a negative on the defensive side but that's not what all-stars known for 
No, that that is true. It really is more of a scoring and offensive award. I, but but at the same time, you know, in terms of being an all star, you do have to be elevating a team. Maybe that is one argument that I would say Cannon should stand against Trey Young, which is he doesn't elevate the Hawks, who are currently a ten seed, and really only on account of the fact that a team like the Nets are, you know, I didn't expect them to be good by any means this year, but they're you didn't expect them to be this bad expectations. either. Exactly. Um, so uh, on that count, I don't love it. I can let the defense slide or even the inefficient scoring. Um, but it, it's also not one where I'm like, oh my goodness, how could Trey Young possibly yeah. make it to the all star game? Like he does. He is he's an injury replacement those... too. Like it's like yeah. if you're a player, he, that's not the same to you. He is as a, a very player. like you know. He also makes those clutch baskets. He did in the playoffs last year, forced a game six against the Celtics with a last second shot. I think he made with like half a second left. I stray baby. <laughs> um, so I, I understand it. I would have liked to have obviously seen some more of my guys in green make it specifically Porzingis, but. You know, not not the worst selections ever. I will say maybe one guy we talked about earlier in this episode that maybe should have been on the dark horse list for reserve or maybe even an injury replacement is Kobe White, just Ooh. based on what he's doing in Chicago. Yeah, I think he's someone I didn't think about when we recorded the episode, but I think we should have given more thought to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no other players on other teams that deserve it more like the only player I'd argue that does but it's not really stat based it's impact based is Jared Allen like outside of those two players and then you have a wild card spot so it doesn't have to be like a guard or like a certain position but yeah um, I mean like just to play devil's advocate I'd probably put Jared Allen out there to challenge the Porzingis pick now, when it comes to stats, obviously Porzingis has him beat. However, from a pure impact perspective, you have Jared Allen averaging uh, 15 points a game and 10 rebounds a game off 65% from the field. He's also averaging about a block and a half per game. So he really does anchor their defense, you know, especially when Mobley's out in late game situations. He's a very complimentary player. Uh, he has been an all-star before. So that's kind of like my dark horse pick, especially based off of team success. As we mentioned, Cleveland's nine and one in their last 10. So they've been just going on an insane rampage. So I would have awarded them another all-star, but hey, I'm not complaining that my guys in red got Scotty because um, I think he's been like the one stable presence for Toronto this year outside of like uh RJ very after the trade but even RJ sat out like a fair amount of games post trade and Scotty's like at almost 45 to 50 games played with only 30 games left in the season. So um like we said we rewarded him for that and the commissioner who personally picks the injury replacements agrees with us. So um pretty happy for him on that front. Um I want to discuss a little bit of the players that we thought would get traded that st- stood pat. So you have Bruce Brown that's still on my Raptors for some reason. Uh, I don't know why we kept him. Maybe we didn't get like a good enough offer because we clearly made it uh, obvious that we wanted a first round pick for him. Maybe uh, the market wasn't that keen the way he's been shooting recently. 
Uh, the game I went to where the Raptors played the Houston Rockets, he started the game one for nine. So that wasn't the best. And they were all bunnies right around the rim. Uh, it was sad to see that. <laughs> it was just tough. Uh, I think he just got his ring. He's in Canada. He's kind of confused why he's there. So he's just playing. He's not really thinking about it much. He's just kind of like autopiloting games at this point because he just wants to like go back to the U.S. or like a bona fide contender at least, you know. That's why I think he's playing like that. I think that kind of hurt his trade value when it came to the deadline. So uh, Mr. Brown with the mustache, that might have not been the most smart decision. Uh, so you will remain north of the border for the rest of the season. Uh, I feel like a team like New York or L.A. or even Phoenix could have used him really well if they wanted to make a very deep playoff push. And another player is Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, this man is a bona fide. Uh, he's the reigning sixth man of the year, for God's sake. And nobody picked him up. So he's going to rot in Portland for the rest of the season unless he gets bought out. Um, maybe teams didn't think he was worth the contract. Um, I had him personally as a New York fit. But after the resurgence of Dante DiVincenzo, I understand why New York decided to not trade for him because... I mean, they essentially have a better version of Dante. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is not really known for his defense, whereas Dante is a defensive player that's averaging 30 with Brunson out. So that kind of fills that need for you guys. So that makes sense. But I still think a team like, for example, Phoenix might have used them because they're lacking a point guard. So he could have at least brought the ball up, played that catch and shoot role like Mike Conley does for the Timberwolves. Um which kind of piggybacks off someone else who I thought would get traded, which is Tyus Jones. He's one of the last few uh, real point guards left in the league today. He's a very uh, native point guard. He's extremely uh, focused on like playmaking. He's sort of like Chris Paul in that sense. He His assist to turnover ratio is ridiculous. It's seven to one, Connor. That's by far the most in the entire league. Like, People overshadow this man's passing ability. And it's just, it's also worth mentioning that his uh, brother, his little brother, recently got the starting nod in San Antonio because, um, what's the San Antonio coach again? Pop? The most, yeah, the most renowned coach in the league. Greg <laughs> uh, so Pop. Popovich decided to stop with the Sohan experiment at PG. So I put an actual PG, which is the brother of the most polished PG in today's game when it comes to assist to turnovers, at least as their starting point guard. And we are seeing Wembenyana resurge as the rookie of the year favorite. But uh, I digress. Uh, the last trade target, which I thought would get traded, which didn't, was uh, um, DFS. I think he's a really good player on the Nets that could have been used and like an L.A., for example, or like even a Golden State to kind of help them get over that hump. But like I said, for reasons we got into prior, I think those two teams specifically had more than enough reasons to stand pat, especially with the Lakers having an opportunity to combine their first round pick that they have available right now with their two that get unlocked in the offseason to go after a player like Donovan Mitchell. I think Donovan Mitchell would be a seamless fit on the Lakers uh, playing alongside a 40-year-old LeBron. And um, 
um, wonderful shatter glass and Anthony Davis, he'll be able to provide a lot of stability for that Lakers team if that happens. Do you have any other trade uh, targets that you thought would get moved that didn't at the deadline? Yes, and only one of them I thought about in terms of who would be pickups. Both are currently Atlanta Hawks. So the first who is actually widely considered to be traded and I think may have actually requested one, DeJounte Murray. Um, could have been an interesting one. I didn't get the chance to think as much about kind of the where, but it, it sort of seemed like the Hawks wanted him out so bad that they would have almost put him anywhere. You know, even in a situation like Kyle Lowry's where you're shipped off to like a bottom feeder and you have a contract buyout, although Murray's contract is not very, very team friendly from what I remember. So I, you know, less likely I mean, like and then, relative to stars putting up numbers in today's league. It is unfortunately speaking because of how expensive players are getting nowadays. However, um, for like a Lakers or for a New York or for a bona fide contender, I just don't think they saw him as being worth it for his salary A and in turn of what they had to give back to match the salary he's making on top of the yeah. draft compensation. So it was just a lot of like kind of dominoes having to line up and then every GM just kind of decided against it. I Now that's to say that I did see an interesting report saying that um, – Detroit actually wanted DeJounte, but he told his agent not to pursue that trade. That's interesting. So he was one. I thought I thought he was the most likely to leave Atlanta. And then what about also Bogdanovich wanted... on the Hawks, too. I was thinking Sadiq Bay, actually. Oh you know, we've been we've been nice. lightly discussed uh you know, him maybe to the Celtics, to the Celtics as like a hustle player. Can maybe get some buckets when the rest of the bench are struggling and actually last week when the celtics and the hawks played he started out really hot he was like like five for six from the field or something before he cooled off mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter but i was sort of like oh man he may be making a pitch to brad stevens which interestingly enough Jaden springer who ended up getting traded to the celtics in the 76ers said that supposedly brad stevens was watching him in a preseason game Ooh. Yeah, perhaps as a potential trade target. Maybe uh, in the offseason. Possibly. Well, now it's happened. No, so like in, got... in, the, in the upcoming offseason, not the trade deadline. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. He did get traded. Springer did get traded. Oh, no, I was mentioning like uh, uh, oh, like a Bay Bay potentially coming to Boston next year. I definitely could see that. and That would be a good fit. Yeah. That'd be a good fit. I will say that I don't think they were a huge winner because they didn't have many moves to make, but the two small trades the Celtics did make were solid bringing Springer and Xavier Tillman. Xavier Tillman, excuse me, from the Grizzlies. And they only gave up Lamar Stevens and Delano Banton. So they yeah, that, definitely... I don't know why you guys had Benton to begin with. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, <laughs> you I mean, took him I... from us. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, thanks, I guess. I mean, he probably honestly wanted to be on the Raptors because he's from Canada. Yeah. So uh, but, you know, just small moves. Um, anyways, I don't think Tillman's going to be seeing a lot of the floor, but it's a good backup no, to have. I, although he, you know, he hasn't played yet, but, you know, definitely could see him maybe gang minutes as if they're big over Luke Cornette, potentially. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I do think he'll play tougher on defense, even though Cornette can get hot sometimes. Um, anyways, back to the Hawks. I was a little surprised they didn't make any moves, but maybe they're kind of in the same spot as Chicago where they're still deciding if it's like time to rebuild. You know, of course, they're going to keep Trey Young, for example, like he's the guy to build around. I've actually seen reports saying they're open to trading him. He's been linked to LA as well. It'd be interesting. We'll see what happens next offseason where the season finishes for the Hawks. But them and Chicago, who didn't really make any moves at the trade deadline, they're both kind of in the same spot where they're not kind of like Toronto the last few years where they weren't sure if it was time to rebuild or if they wanted to keep trying to be like, you know, a lower seed playoff team. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be very interesting. And those are definitely teams that could be active this offseason, particularly if it yeah. ends, this season ends in disappointment. Um, another team I kind of want to touch on briefly before we come close to ending here is the Los Angeles Clippers. So uh, they were going on an insane 30 game stretch, which encompassed them going on a 25 to 5 run, franchise best stretch. Um, they had one of their best players kind of just going back to his like superstar form and Kawhi. But then more recently, they've been kind of dropping games here and there because Paul George has been in a shooting slump to say the least. And then James Harden has kind of gotten used to just scoring like under 20 points a game. So like 19, 18, 17 points. And when your other superstars are not playing well, I think he should go back to who he actually is. But he's just kind of like gotten used to like being that like 17 point per game score for them while like dishing out eight nine assists per game which is all fun in games until you start losing because paul george is shooting one for nine from three so like you need to kind of pick it up because like they are looking like the best team in the west and then you're kind of seeing their kryptonite happen like you know uh early on which is arguably good for them because they're learning from their mistakes when they still can. So like you see them losing games like to the Pelicans, uh, to the Cavs, uh, to the Timberwolves. Um, The last two are kind of warranted, but like the Pelicans, like I feel like that was a winnable game. Like I said, you just had Paul George who couldn't buy a bucket. He was three for 15, 0 for eight from three for that game. So I think that like James Harden should have stepped it up because he was having a good game, but he just didn't, you know, and then we're kind of seeing the Clippers kryptonite catch up to them. But like I said, better now than later on. I agree. I think the Clippers definitely have some work to do on the defensive end. I think hopefully Paul George will get out of that shooting slump. Um, But since the West is so jam packed, they do need to, they need to make sure that they're, you know, playing the basketball that they were over the last month to two months, which that 25 and five run is their best, you know, 30 game stretch in franchise history. Um, But since the West is so clumped together in that top four, they really need to snap out of it and start playing, particularly on the offensive end, the game that they have been playing in December and January that catapulted them for a little bit to the, to, to the top seed in the West. And, my personal power rankings actually slid up to the one seed for a couple of weeks there. Um, So, so they're an interesting team, but hopefully they get, you know, hot at the right time. However, one team that's, you know, still has work to do was getting a bit hotter and had a very nice win over the Celtics a couple weeks back was your Lakers. 
they forced nine turnovers on the Celtics just in the first quarter. Um, and Austin Reeves led the way scoring seven or making seven out of his nine three point attempts, which is just crazy. That's like the Austin Reeves from the first two playoff series last year type of thing Yeah, where he's just making everything. He's like, kind of, you know, he's like, it's like, in, he's in his, like, this is my shit type of mode mm-hmm. where he's just not going to miss. Um, I, the Lakers, I think, are now what three games over five hundred. You know, still plenty of work to do to climb up, but with 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 the the six to nine seeds so tightly packed together, I think only sure. I'm looking now. Yeah, it's only geez, no, excuse me, the f- five and eight seeds only only a game separates those four. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. You know, the it's Lakers tough to say the least. The Lakers are only three games back from that. You mm-hmm. know, all it takes is a five game win streak or that's it. Yeah, really. Another team to go on a losing streak of that caliber. And all of a sudden the Lakers find themselves in the playoffs. And who knows if Austin Reeves is shooting like that. Um, <laughs> maybe one other interesting point to know. I won't stick on this one too too long, just to quickly mention. This is the first time since the 2007-08 season that the Celtics have swept the Miami Heat. Uh, oh, wow. Better rival of theirs. Nice. Um, even in 2009-2010 when the Celtics made it back to the finals, I think Miami won three of the four games in the regular season against them that year. Interesting. So just very interesting, a very storied rivalry, especially in the East. Um, that's it. And then one other crazy performance that we didn't mention yet but wanted to give a shout out to one of the generational talents we've discussed in a team off five game win streak so right before that five game win streak it was actually the one loss they had uh they lost the Atlanta Hawks yeah exactly in, in overtime where Steph put up 60 points including 10 made three point attempts um which they unfortunately lost to Atlanta but just kind of goes to show you that no matter what the Warriors go through, you know, along with the five game win streak, like they Steph is still Steph. You know, that's Absolutely. why he's a generational talent. That's why we say Chef Curry with the shot boy. Yeah, he's a flamethrower, man, to say the least. And another like insane game that happened was Bradley Beal going back to his homecoming in Washington. He dropped 43 points on 21 shots. 76% from the field, 80% from three, 100% from the free throw line, which is absolutely ridiculous. That's uh something to say when you're going back to the team you've played for most of and your career. And broke him out of a pretty horrendous shooting slump, slump, too. Yeah, yeah. And then another uh kind of like nice uh, record to what worth mentioning is uh, Russell Westbrook hitting 25K points um on 10 for 13 shooting when Harden and was one for 10 that game so I probably think that Russell Westbrook had a kick out of it uh he probably got most of the media's attention that night when it's usually the opposite so that must have been nice for him since he's a genuinely good person happy for him and it's also worth mentioning that he has also 9,000 assists and 8,000 rebounds. So he's one of the few players that is probably going to retire with uh, 25K plus, 10,000 plus, 10,000 plus, which is a very coveted record. Uh, again, we call him Mr. Triple Double. 
uh yeah he's just like a generational talent and when he's playing uh onto his role like he is in the Clippers he can be very impactful as well um I kind of just want to end this episode by mentioning that Doc Rivers consulted Adrian Griffin out of his job and then when he got asked about uh being the head coach for the all-star game he laughed it off and he said this isn't right and he said that he was going to give his all-star game ring to Adrian Griffin and his pay bonus to Adrian Griffin and all of the coaching staff that he didn't bring in when he got hired. And he's trying to act like he's not the bad guy and he's the good guy when he has a one in five record with the Bucks right now. And I know that he's a very well-liked person in the media, like no one can take that away from him. But stop trying to play Mr. Nice Guy on that media podium when you're literally the person that arguably consulted Adrian Griffin into getting fired. Like you got hired as an informal consultant. You kind of like walked him through his rookie season head coach and then you took his job from him. And now you're saying you're going to give him a ring and a bonus. Like, please, man, I'm not falling for the act. And neither are all the analysts that I read about. They also just case. got smacked by Miami by 26 tonight. Yeah. So I, mean, I, just, I think it's like two and six now. Get out of the 08 season, man. Like, goddamn, Doc Rivers. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, if I got you this many say. opportunities, like, what's up, Doc? Another loss for you. What a way to end season uh, three, episode eight of Shoot Your Shot. We'll see everyone on episode nine when we discuss after.